Hi, I'm Emily. And I'm Paulus. And welcome to Up Your Arts. See, we're, we're supposed to not be laughing. This is the end <laughs> of the series. We're supposed to have worked out how to do this by now. And she's still giggling. It's a podcast that explores how the arts can enrich your life. Well, at least this is enriching your life right now, Emily. <laughs> yeah, it was just, I noticed as soon as I said, hi, I'm Emily, you were taking a drink of water. And I was like, oh, no, I started too soon. <laughs> <laughs> so that reminds me of this really lovely Snoopy cartoon. You know, Peppermint Patty and Marcy in the Peanuts yes. uh, cartoons. There's this thread and it goes on for, it goes on for about a, a fortnight because obviously it was a daily comic. And uh, there's a book report to you. And every day Marcy says to Peppermint Patty, have you done your book report? And sometimes they're playing baseball, sometimes they're walking home. But it goes on and on and on and on and on. And then the, the end of it, two weeks into this um, seemingly endless joke, they have to hand in their book report. And Peppermint Patty does. And P Marcy realises she hasn't done it because she's been so busy <laughs> telling Peppermint Patty to do her job. <laughs> Tell me, how are people keeping creative at the moment? Have you heard from listeners? Yes, we have heard from listeners. And I also wanted to see if it's okay if I could talk about Henry, my nephew, because uh, last recording I got very emotional. <laughs> yeah, you did. Uh, Yes, and so I had a wee chat with him recently and he told me about how he came up with the poem. Um, so they were doing, um, in his homeschooling, they were doing um, Shakespeare. And yeah. as part of that, he had to do um, a little poem. So if I can keep it together, shall we, shall we read out the poem? <laughs> so ju just, let's just remind everybody, from, this is from our episode with uh, Naomi Paxton. Yes. Uh, our episode 11, our uh, tremendous uh, uh, researcher and suffragette Naomi Paxton. And we were talking about uh, things that had happened recently, including homeschooling. And you were telling us about this poem that he'd uh, written. Yes. And I really wasn't able to tell that at all because I got too emotional. So let's try and read the poem. Let's do it. Let's, do it. <laughs> let's give it. So it's called I Wish I Was a Dog by Henry, age nine. If I was the dog, I wouldn't know. I could play with all my doggy friends and jump in the mud. I asked my mum, she said it was a virus, a very scary virus. I wish I was a dog because I wouldn't know. I found it very scary, like the World War II again. I wish I was a dog because I wouldn't know. Like my dog Jack, he can go out and walk with all his friends. I wish I was a dog because I wouldn't know. It's just, oh, it got me. <laughs> wow. Good old Henry. Well, good young Henry, I should say, really. Yeah. Brilliant stuff, Henry. And Yeah, and it just made me realise just how important um, learning poetry, especially for young children, um, if they can't find the words to say something, um, that they could maybe try and write it out in a poem form, poetry form. So that was really nice. So I wanted to give a shout out to Henry School for giving him that, uh, although I can't remember the name of the school. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's one brilliant kind of a shout out. <laughs> You're absolutely right, though. I mean, I've been I've been very very moody this week and very sort of doom and gloom about the theatre industry. I should point out that we're recording on uh, June the twenty. Where are we? June the twenty fifth or sixth? And we've just had easing of lockdown. June the twenty fourth. Thank you. Easing of lockdown and uh, cinemas can reopen but still no word on theatres, even though a packed uh, aeroplane is totally okay. And I'm starting to get really upset about it all. And, and then I remember, good God, what about people who are, whose careers haven't even begun yet? What if you've just mm. left drama school and spent three years paying for that? Or if you're eight years old and you don't even realise, you know, what's happening? It must be so hard. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, when, uh, like when this was written, it was right at the beginning of lockdown. So... Um, yeah, it was, and it really, I, I guess it impacted my sister quite a lot and myself quite a lot because it was just like, oh, I wish I was a dog too. <laughs> <laughs> 
So you've also heard from, is it Abby that you heard from? Yes, I have. Right. Sorry. Tell us yes. about Abby. Now, Abby was brilliant because she got in touch and said, well, I don't know if this is of interest, but, you know, um, I've done lots of different things. And I was like, oh, this is perfect because it reminded me of um, Dusty Limits, um, our episode with Dusty Limits, where he said, try everything. And Abby has tried everything. It's <laughs> I love it. I love it. She's like, she's like, well, I've done photography. Um, I bake. I've done ceramics, knitting, um, writing, um, learning the guitar. And Is this all uh, during lockdown that she's tried these things? Uh, <laughs> no, not just during, during life. Just during life, during I life. So yeah. she's done loads of different things. Um, she did recently do. This is how I um, uh, how I know she listens to the podcast as well. Um, she's done my burlesque course, right. um, and um, she was. Uh, and her last routine that she did was um, uh, inspired by uh, was inspired by clowning and she was a bit of a clown within it and so as a result um her next um uh, course that she has her eye on is clowning well, does she by any chance have somebody in mind as a clowning teacher well not yet but i think our next guest <laughs> <laughs> well Abby, if you don't sign up to um, do clowning with our next guest. I personally would suggest that that was an epic fail, I, I think is what the young people are saying, because she's done uh, clowning with me and I think she's amazing. And I've uh, taken a lot of her own uh, tenets and principles and adapted them to my work with uh, cabaret performers. So I guess this is a good moment to introduce our guest for what is the final episode of series one of Up Your Arts and a great person to go out with a bang with. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the screen, it's <laughs> Peter Lilly. Hi. Hi, Emily. Thank you both. Thank you, Paul. You're very welcome, darling. Now, as I as I told you, and as uh, listeners are, are kind of used to by now, uh, we, if, if there's any kind of shape to what Emily and I do for 45 minutes with people that we've hoodwinked into doing it, it is that Emily has a list of questions which she tries to get through, and I derailed the whole thing by <laughs> interrupting like an annoying penguin. <laughs> so I'm going to let, uh, because Emily doesn't know as much about you and your work as I do, so I'm going to sit back and uh, let you two chat for a minute. The, the white middle-aged man is going to try not to speak. Let's see how long we do. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> so I guess I wanted to kind of just kick off with, uh, can you tell us a bit about your, yourself and what you do? I do a bunch of different things, Emily. Um, I started my performing life as an actor uh, and then I came to this country and I started working with mime and dance uh, and then the, joined a mime company but we kind of were stretching the boundaries of mime. Uh, this was before the word physical theatre and then physical theatre uh, and then I left that company I became a soloist so I do a bunch of different things. Uh, I direct, I teach, I perform, I make works of art, I write things. A bit of everything. <laughs> a bit of everything, yeah. Great. Because, um, yeah, you mentioned physical theatre. I'm really kind of quite interested in that side of things because um, my very first um, show that I ever stage managed uh, university was a physical theatre piece and this was back in like, 98 and I had no clue what physical theatre was at all can you kind of tell us a little bit about it it was a crash course for me <laughs> yeah I, I, so I'm sure someone will have a, a more refined answer than <laughs> me uh it, it in the early days because I was there right at the very beginning uh and there were people bringing in circus skills, people bringing in music. Uh, I'd come, as I say, as I say, with this little mime company. We were Britain's first all-female mime troupe, and we travelled all around the UK and we went to Europe as well. But even there, we would introduce words, so we weren't purists. Uh, things, so it's a sort of melange of things coming together. Of course, Jacques Lecoq had a huge influence on the state of affairs. 
Um, and people have taken it in their own ways. Some ways will look very different to other ways. What, what was the show that you did, Emily? What did it look like? Um, so it was Anton Arto, uh, The Spurt of Blood. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, basically, because it was my first time stage managing, um, I knew nothing. I, I was uh, my first week at university and I got handed this script saying, this is your script. And I was like, this is three pages long. <laughs> <laughs> How do I make a book up with this? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and, um, oh. Yeah, so I was involved in the... Um, in the process of uh, watching them develop the piece um, as well. So they hadn't, they'd only just started rehearsals when I got involved. And um, yeah, it was just so amazing to watch um, them kind of string out these <laughs> three pages. Uh, it was really string out, but um, the concept that came into it, I had to make tons of blood because um, there was lots of blood thrown around towards the end. Um, I can't remember much more about it. It was over 20 years ago now. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, they were climbing over each other. I remember they had somebody come in especially to teach them about, like, they built a, a kind of wall almost where one of them had to climb up um, the other three. Um, and then we had a, a kind of drum and bass beat throughout the whole piece as well. And there was a lot of shouting and wailing and I love you. Um, and everything. I think they repeated that several times. <laughs> Can I just uh, point out for people that aren't watching on YouTube and that may only have the audio version of uh, Up Your Arts on, uh, when uh, Emily said the name of that, uh, that uh, show a moment ago, Peter's eyes went really, really wide. <laughs> I, can I say, because I didn't actually, I didn't think I heard the real title, I heard the skirt of the... Oh. <laughs> So I'm, I, my brain's like really, uh, and I'm sure that's not correct. What was it? The what of blood? Spurt of blood. Oh. Spurt of blood. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I now want to see the production of The Skirt of Blood. But... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we did a show, uh, Three Women Days. Uh, that was the, the name of the Britain's first all-female mime troupe. And uh, we worked with the amazing Hilary Westlake, who uh, was a, one of the founding members of the very seminal uh, Lumiere and Sun Theatre Company, and she did a piece for us called Wounds. Uh, Hilary liked to go to the, you know, she go, hmm, what is the essence? You know, she went to clowning. Uh, what is the essence of clowning? Um, they're hurt so that the audience can laugh. You know, she was thinking of slapstick and the circus, circus clowns. And then, what, what is, hmm, what's the essence of women? They bleed. So we did this piece, the three of us, we researched all the washable fabrics, and there were three of us in these different white costumes and doing Hillary worked with amazing sort of rhythmic pattern dancers and then we had sections of movement that were dealing with different aspects it was all what's non-verbal actually and then suddenly there'd be some blood would appear from somewhere I, I think I was first and some blood came out of my breast and then the the next one was blood came out of uh, Chessa's mouth and uh, and then it ended up uh, right at the end blood had come from various places and Claudia sort of put up this umbrella and pff, it rained blood on her um very exciting I, did all physical theatre have blood in it <laughs> on the theme I, I I would like to tell you in my uh, later career uh I I you know started my, doing solo works one of the aspects of for me physical theatre is is this thing of authorship having a voice that you can recreate so as a as a, a woman in the 80s roles were still fairly limited you know but if you're doing a solo show you can play the the tree the detective the woman the cabaret performer you can do all these things so uh i did a show that was directed by uh david glass it was called beg and it was a schlock horror David Cronenberg thing. It was inspired by uh, me looking at Paula Rego's amazing paintings, the early ones with the girls holding the doggy, you know, uh, <laughs> in a strange way. And and I I have to thank David Glass because he gave me this wonderful gift because all my shows come from a problem, 
a what's wrong, a something that I'm not happy about or don't understand. And I was very congested around um, relationships and, and and my relationships with my, with my father and my brother and things like that. And so David said to me, um, I was thinking, oh, there's a woman and there's a rapist on the loose. And he's saying, yeah, why don't you play a serial killer? And I said, well, no, statistically, women are not serial killers, you know. And he said, it's a better part. And I went, I'm listening. <laughs> so he created this thing and he he was reading about how it was also, oh, this is terrible, creativity, up your arts, how it was a creative act. I'm not recommending this, anyone. Please don't become a serial killer. <laughs> but, um, you know, that they would be healing some trauma by, by doing these acts um, you know, ritualistic acts. And so we invented the story of a female surgeon who used to, she was so disappointed by men that she would kill them and, well, not kill them, knock them out, sew them inside, no, sew a dog inside them. Right, obviously, yes. Yeah, that, that works better. I was like, whoa, but COVID. <laughs> uh, yeah. She'd cut them open, sew a dog inside them with this mad, in her madness, thinking that because dogs are loyal and lovely <laughs> and obedient, uh, that it would make a better man. And and then, of course, you know, the man would come around and, and then the dog would explode out of his stomach. But in that oh. show, the culmination <laughs> of that show with the amazing Philip Palou from Showstoppers, he was my co-performer, was literally naked on a plastic coated futon and I'm there in black bra and pants and black gloves and a hedge clippers stabbing and, and cutting and he's shooting these blood bags Kensington super gore you probably met that when <laughs> spurt of blood and, you know it and it was just great for me because I got to see an entire audience like whoa <laughs> back like they were on a, a fair um you know like a what's that roller coaster you know that that yeah. sort of lean back uh thing so that was a very therapeutic uh Arctic <laughs> show to be in that involved blood I will stop talking about blood from here on <laughs> in. Peter you um you spoke earlier on about the essence of clowning and and uh, I just wondered if we could sort of uh, backpedal there a little bit to anybody listening that has you know has no idea what clowning is that thinks it's a clown with a red nose that turns up at a children's party and uh, that some people are scared of. There's clowns and then there's clowning, isn't there? And yes. are they different things? Can you sort of speak to that a bit? Well, there's there's been an, an element of clown throughout history. People have written great books on it. Uh, John Davison's very clever because he goes, there's no direct lineage. Uh, it sort of erupts like fungus in <laughs> in every you know the mycelium is the big new thing isn't it it's it's that we're discovering how wonderful uh bacteria uh, uh that we've relegated to the depths and the, yeah but anyway sorry i'm going off but um going off point it, clowning is a beautiful thing um because it's a stripping away for, for in terms of performance uh people generally compose a character or at least that was in vogue uh, up until 80s 90s you know now more and more people include the clowning because it does it the, if you use the little red nose which I tend not to do but the little red nose goes on and the mask the social mask comes off right yeah the clown is in the here and now the clown says yes to everything even the painful things uh, it's it's almost like I've come to this over the years, over the 30 years of teaching clown, and then I'm, we're probably going to talk about my dark clown work, which is a, another thing, you know, uh, another different sort of explanation. But um, well, certainly are, yeah. <laughs> clowning is this state of openness, and 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 it, it become it, it without making it sound sentimental or or holy. It's it's a kind of spirituality. It's it's more of a sort of Buddhist one flavor spirituality where the clown can accept things and the clown also needs to be very compassionate towards the audience and the clown practitioner needs to 
practice self-compassion because there are those moments when you're shielding yourself from failure or shielding yourself from laughter some people have this double thing that they're there oh I'm frightened I won't be funny but then when the laughter comes they've got some trigger of <laughs> you know the laughter happening for a completely different reason you know so an undefending um it's 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 um it's a beautiful art form and an enduring one and one that can take on board many changes. I think there's uh, Phil Berger, who uh, his clowns, Dr. Brown, uh, I saw an article recently where he was working with it in the context of, of burlesque and trans, I think trans, uh, sort of non-binary burlesque. Anyway, I can't remember the, the, the whole, but awesome, because the clown can be anything. Because you spoke just then about, you know, stuff that sounds really, really exposing and scary and raw. And having done, you know, your clown and your dark clown course, I can attest that that it can be. And, uh, and uh, you know, my, my cabaret courses, people are often say very, very scary. And I think there's something I remember on your course, there was, uh, if we weren't looking at the audience um, to gauge their reaction, and, and therefore to know, you know, how to respond. That was that was a big deal. There was a lot of that. So the the lack of fourth wall, which also the, the yes. cabaret that has, there, there's definitely a link there. And I, I suppose the same with burlesque, Emily, which you teach. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I get, um, I actually have clown, uh, people from a clowning background come and teach my character um, classes because I just think, um, like you're saying, it's um, in burlesque you do have to kind of strip away and be well. You do physically as well, but mentally as well because you have to be prepared for whatever's going to happen when you're on stage. And um, what's lovely is that they come in and do a lot of games, which um, the students aren't prepared for because they're well. I've come for a burlesque class. Why am I playing games? And it's like, no, but that really helps. And then by the end of the class, they're like, oh, that's brilliant. I have some great ideas of how I can develop what I'm doing and yeah it's wonderful I think clowning is just so brilliant and um, like bringing in character uh, and teaching character through clowning is just essential I think for like short especially for cabaret anyway um yeah yeah it's like <laughs> there's a question in that but there we go <laughs> an opening up isn't it? it's an opening up to to possibility and uh then people often say to me um oh well, you know this is useful in life for example yeah right <laughs> With the clown. um and i think that is is great a flexible for, for comedy in general well unless you're doing like a kind of comedy from you've got a clear comic character and you know there are some comics that are only scathing but yeah, not so many of those nowadays but um yeah there's definitely you know, a uh, there's definitely a strand of comedy isn't there like you say it's 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 getting less and less popular but yes. there are some that say no they they, mm -hmm. they so you know you might be having a back and forth with your comedy partner or somebody else on the panel of the game show that you're on and one particular person the, the basis basis of what they do to get laughs is to go no i reject that and that's why the, and and this is funny but that's not really what happens with with clowning from my from what I've observed. We say yeah. yes, right? Yeah, you say yes. And and yeah, we were talking about sort of opening up to possibility and opening up into a flow state. I had a, a woman who'd done workshop with me ages ago who does this wonderful freeform yoga. I look at her pictures on Instagram and I go, how? You know, she's just incredible. And she said, oh, I never forget what you said in clown, see things with equal potential possibility. And, and that other yogistas are saying to her, how do you dare get these shapes? How do you think of these new, she invents her own sequences. And she, she actually said, can I phone you? And we had a little phone conversation about how those two things um, interlinked. Oh, there was something else I wanted to say. Paul, what were you just saying about looking well, at? Well, I, 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 sort of, I sort of touched on the, the fact that it was quite, a, you know, a raw and scary and, and, and brave. <laughs> The, the clowning and I and I guess I wanted to uh, go on to ask you what your experience as a teacher and well and as a practitioner um, a performer is of resistance to the work yes now you see I, I love the way you say raw and scary I I, I try not to use those words <laughs> <laughs> they're the words I hear from my students 
<laughs> about about similar things that that you and I both teach these days. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it can be exposing. Um, years ago, I did this funny thing called the Life Game. Came out of Findhorn, and it takes it took a whole day to play this thing. You know, it's like oh, and you pull cards and everything, and at the end, you got one little thing, one tiny little card. And my card was vulnerability is the perfect protection. Oh God! Can you say that again? Vulnerability is the perfect protection. Wow. And it's, okay. it's great. It does a Zen thing because it's like a paradox, isn't it? It's like one hand clapping. Um, that makes complete sense to what you were just saying about about the the yoga practitioner that you know. And from my own yoga practice, sort of, you know, I I know I know this sounds just like something people say, but how much of it um, is is in the mind, um, t telling yourself you can't do something or that you don't want to go there or that you shouldn't go there, whether that be yoga, burlesque, cabaret, or clowning, you know. Yes. If everything has one flavour, if we stop, this would be helpful for the world, wouldn't it? Because we've got right and wrong and vaccine or no vaccine. But if people had a bit, bit less opinion, uh, that, that's where creativity can come in. And if you change your perspective and vary your standpoint, uh, the clown is... The clown practitioner needs to be listening to their breathing and they're feeling the rhythms inside themselves. They need to be noticing the person they're playing with and they need to be sniffing out. I call it sniff the beast. It's just I like to give funny phrases, you know, <laughs> serious ones. Um, sometimes it backfires, but um, you just kind of get a sense of them you don't know you don't know oh that that man three along from the end needs this you the language bit of the brain can't think about it quickly enough but you just kind of go okay you just see where they're all at and do whatever you can I like to think about energy coming out of your own body and going where it needs to go there's a, uh, I'm sure I've told this story like three times now on Up Your Arts, but it's it's a very good story. So I'm going to tell it again. Oh, here we go again. Uh, we go. Uh, so um, when I work at Café de Paris and they have a cabaret on, before the cabaret, usually there's a close-up magician and they're out on the floor whilst people are dining. And very kindly, often the, uh, the close-up magician will come up to me when I'm hosting pre-show and tell me who's out there and where they're sat and what they've been like with them so far, whether oh. there's a big big group of hens and they're up for a party or these people on the left are Swiss and they don't understand anything I'm saying <laughs> and just sort of giving me pointers. And it got to the stage where I had to ask them to stop telling me <laughs> who was out there Yes. Before I stepped out through the curtains and started the show, because I don't want to know. It's very, for me, Peter, and I wonder what you think about this. It's, it's against everything you've ever taught me as far as sort of accepting, accepting whatever's going to happen next and whoever's there. Yeah, I think I think so. Um, and I think I wonder if this was the little half forgotten thought I had. But once I had someone in the class who was uh, and I was emphasizing, you know, have a look, look through that fourth wall. You know, there is no fourth wall. Just mm. look. And uh, this person was coming from doing a, a burlesque act uh, where, I don't know if she was completely naked. It was her and a, another performer, I think, they used to perform together. And she said, oh, I, don't, I tend not to look at them. So you have to bear in mind what your venue is. Tend not to look at the other the other performer or the audience? Audience. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, she needed to look over their heads for what she was doing. Uh, and I presume she wasn't necessarily using a lot of comedy. So it's just like you've got to work around it, haven't you? So there's always a, a, there's the rule and there's the exception to the rule. So we're talking about noticing where your audience is at. I've got a good Goliath analogy, but I, she really interested me that day when, you know, I, I'm going, for, for that sake, she's doing the right thing. She's making a frame. She's going, I'm here in this reality. Because that was what her act, her intention needed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, because I always think that with burlesque, it, it needs the audience interaction. It needs the conversation between the performer and um, the audience. Yes. So I find that interesting is that she's like, I can't look at them. <laughs> I'm like, 
But yeah, oh, I, I, I couldn't imagine going on stage and not. <laughs> That's very I interesting. Yeah. And maybe since then, <clears throat> she, yeah. she found a way to do it. But I have, yeah, I have been in cabaret where people are like talking out at the audience, but not actually doing that noticing. And most yeah. people don't notice that they're not really noticing. But when there are there are some I'm not going to say any names, but no. there are some extremely famous and extremely successful um, acts that call themselves cabaret, uh, but do not subscribe, have never subscribed to the tenets of no fourth wall and directly speaking to the audience. So it's, yeah. uh, you know, it's not that everybody agrees on what yeah. cabaret is. It's, it's, uh, I think it's becoming more and more prevalent, this idea of, you know, go there go right there to the whites of their eyes but not everybody does it and maybe that's fear maybe that's choice maybe it's i don't know i don't know yeah yeah i mean like that was new to me (laughs) well i did notice what from what you were talking about the show you you made uh uh, a while back with the was this the serial killer one with all the blood and the stabbing <laughs> and the, uh, all of the things in spite of uh, us speaking about you know some things things being scary and brave uh, uh this sounds tremendously powerful what what you got to do and who you got to become so there is a payoff isn't there to the bravery if if that is a word that you <laughs> can yeah uh, this is this is a big theme of mine which is Take your pain, take your problem, do with something with it. And you you might well um, have, I had a lot of fears. I, in those days, I was terrified at the fact that I was going to be in bra and pants. Or there'd be someone waiting for me after the show, you know, they'll, they'll come and get me. I was, I was frightened. But the way the whole thing was, uh, you know, with uh, David Glass's dramaturgy, it, it set up this thing where yeah it was very powerful and while I was there I had this monologue um because there'd been this fairy tale theme throughout and and she was just going and the and the girl's hands did grow back and she could weave the straw into gold you know because in fairy tales women get a hard deal you know and her legs could work again you know (laughs) so she kind of Stitch after stitch after stitch. That was the final lines of the the piece. Have I ever told either of you about my uh, my favourite Jeanette Winterson's short story? The tw- um, it's her version of the Twelve Dancing Princesses. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like I've sent, said to at least one of you before. Oh, please, let's make this into a show. It's so, yeah. uh, uh, it's it's Jeanette Winterson's very sort of modern uh, uh, sort of. Uh, female, powerful um, version of the Twelve Dancing Princesses fairy tale where they don't need the princes. They don't necessarily go off with the princes. Some of them live on their own very happily. Some of them stab the prince to death and then live happily (laughs) after that. You know, one of the princes is actually a woman dressed up and they actually live together as women and they're much happier about some bloke around. It's all this big stuff and there's 12 of them. It could totally be a piece, a theatre piece, and it's weaved together by one male narrator in in her Uh And uh, I don't know, I feel like we, the three of us might be the people to make it happen. <laughs> I'm, I'm in with that. I'm very much in with that. <laughs> it's inside her novel Sexing the Cherry. And it's a lovely, lovely little uh, little vignette of its own. So I highly recommend having uh, having a read. <laughs> Thank you. Now, I started to look at the clock and we haven't even got right into the question, which is the difference between clown and dark clown. Oh, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> Come on. Okay, do we have time? Can we? Quick, quick. Uh, <laughs> elevator pitch. <laughs> no, I think we've got time. <laughs> um, Dark Clown um, grew for me out of a moment when I saw a scene in a show and I laughed in a particular way. And this quality of laughter compelled me. And then I spent years doing exercises, building an approach. So, uh, duck clowning makes the kind of, so a little proviso, some people uh, reserve the right for the red-nosed clown not to be, create laughter. Um, but I'm very interested in laughter in general. I've always loved it. You know, I had a grim childhood. What can I say? Uh, <laughs> and, you know, comedy is always, you know, why would anyone not want to laugh? Um <laughs> 
so the mechanics of laughter fascinated me and I built these up. So if you can generate laughter in a darker context, uh, then you're providing people with the, the, the release of sound making in resonance to something. Uh, that all sounds very intellectual, doesn't it? Um, if if you're if you're very if you're kind of if you've got sort of a, a bit of nervousness about you, which I do, and and someone a truck beats its horn, you you know if you're me, you flinch and jump, and and because I don't care. I will probably call out, fuck. <laughs> Sorry, I'm allowed to swear. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, we were talking about humans earlier, so, yeah, carry on. <laughs> I want to sound because it, it discharges some of the tension. You know, it's fear is a clenching. So coming back to Dark Clown, um, if, if I'm drawing a line here for people who are just listening to the podcast, if you have a, a sort of horizontal line and if you think put Red Nose Clown at one end of it and Dark Clown at the other end of it, and if, if this line represents human expression, because the clown is there to be more human than humans, you know, in our sad normal guise, um, you know, when I'm in pret a manger or, or, you know, frustrated about my oyster card, um, we try to hide the inconvenient moments, whereas the clown is there, it fails and it it makes sure it's visible. It allows the audience to have the relief at laughing that, look at that idiot over there, or thank God I've done that too. You know, there's a, a relief and a release. Um, so... Uh, yeah, so red red nose clown, dark clown. Red nose clown primarily is, oh, more, not primarily, but usually, funniness, silliness, loveliness, hopefulness, enthusiasm, bossiness, grumpiness, tetchiness, uh, even anger. You can get an angry clown. Uh, but then, if that continuum continues into the realm of uh, shame, horror physical pain, existential angst, guilt, dread. Yeah, that is, so it's just extending, allowing there to be laughter, a different kind of laughter. It, people are now laughing and they're not scot-free as we are when we laugh at the red-nosed clown. We go, ha, look at that idiot, can't even cross their legs properly. They they fell off, you know, the chair. But the dark clown, they laugh and they can still see the horror of the predicament that the dark clown is in. And this is something that you've, uh, that you created, uh, Peter, and there's a book? There is a book on the way. I'm Come on. <laughs> writing it as, <laughs> as we speak, yeah? That very important process of procrastination. Um, I've, done, I've done a bunch of uh, writing. I took myself off for a writing retreat back uh, last year when the world was open, and I, I did a chunk. And then I've been writing blog posts and I need to assemble it. I remember that other thing I didn't say, I wanted to say. Yeah, I do. Which is um, uh, lovely Ang uh, Angela de Castro. I don't know if she invented it, but I heard someone say that she, Angela de Castro gets people to do their clown coat of arms. You know, like a city like Leeds would have a coat of arms. So to literally get out some pens and paper and to design one that, that speaks yes. to your sound. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> yes, I like yeah. that. Yeah, I like that too. <laughs> it's really fun. And I, I get my uh, students to do it now and they'll anything will go in it. They'll have, you know, like a monkey in a tutu or, you know, some some of them like to have a little pile of poo. Not really my kind of humour, but there you go. It, it, makes, them, <laughs> it makes them smile. It's It's what they saw. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have um, a thing underneath, a, a motto, you know? Yeah, yeah, in Latin, yeah. <laughs> in Latin. And my motto could be in, I could translate it into Latin, but it doesn't have the same word rhythm. And uh, my, my um, motto is dignity in no dignity. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, now you know what mine is, Peter, because I created yes. working with you. I was going to say it. Do you want to say it, or will I say? No, it? you say it. You say it. <laughs> it was wonderful. Um, dear Paul had done the clown and dark clown. You I did, did both. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Did, did the Clown and Dark Clown course, and then I don't know. You emailed me or messaged me in some manner and, and said, after the course, he said, I've I've got my clown mantra. <laughs> 
and it's expect nothing, accept everything. And I literally, I literally stand backstage before shows begin, and I and I say it out loud to myself, almost, uh, and uh, and I. I host a show that Emily produces so that's what I'm doing behind the curtain just before we open uh, Emily is I'm saying oh. the words that this woman inspired me to uh, to put into my life listen I've got one last question before uh, before we start wrapping up I'm sure that Emily uh, there'll be time for one from you too we were speaking earlier on quite a lot about about uh, sort of airing pe uh, airing pain airing misfortune air uh, the 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 what I think of as sort of scarier, rawer parts of our lives. And uh, the three of us all having talked in different ways, I wonder what people's take here is on the arts as therapy. And where's the line? Yeah. <laughs> is it, it, you know, because I'm sorry to say that over the years as a promoter, I, I don't mind it happening in a rehearsal room. Of course it must happen in a rehearsal room, but as a promoter and a host of, of shows, there is a, a, a difference, isn't there, between using your life experience and being brave enough to share it and turning that into a piece of art and putting it on stage and bringing a lot of stuff that isn't perhaps yet dealt with fully and dumping that in front of an audience um, in a perhaps less artistic way. Is there a difference? I shouldn't be telling you there is. Is there a difference? Well, well, well this is what you, you need you need the you need the art you need the strategy you you need the compassion for the audience you need to be crafting something that will yes we're allowed to provoke uh but entertain it's 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 not for you and this is the joy of using your pain is that in crafting in taking a difficult period uh, which i've done more than once in my life and then having to make a show out of it <laughs> then you you have to craft some some kind of story and when you're crafting a story a story has to be follow followable beat by beat by beat so usually when I'm starting to make a, a show I go well what's what is this most like you know how's it going to end uh what what kind is it a story of you know uh transformation is it is it a story of what what's it actually about and uh you know is it is it the story of job or is it you know you, you to kind of go to a myth and think is it like this and then it's often not like anything in particular um but you have uh created a something and in the case of my show topless which i made in 1999 which was about two years full of stress inducing uh, events. Um, now, when I look back, I remember, and, and I deliberately made it funny with there's one moment of pathos nicely positioned. Um, I deliberately made it funny. And now, when I look back on those two years, I see the cartoon version. I, I, see, I see the comedy version and, you know, all the jokes we had about radiotherapy and this, that and the other. So it's a great way to reframe. It's that neurolinguistic programming concept of, of reframing your reality. But I think you've got to love, you've got to love theatre. You've got to love that exchange, you know, or if you're making a film, you've got to love film. You've got to allow an audience to go on some kind of journey. So the 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 phrase "it's not for you" that you said just a just a moment ago. Say that. Well, it's for you, but it's got to be for them, not just for you. Yeah, it's not just for you. Yeah, yeah. I love the question: Who is this for? Um, uh, to to just pose that to yourself or on anything you might be thinking of creating. I think it's a really. I think it stands as, I don't think there's a right answer and I don't think it's always the same answer for everything one creates but I think it's a damn good question nevertheless you know and I think you kind of hit there really well like the journey because thinking about the journey that the audience are going on as well as you so I think that's something really important that just when you said there the journey I was like ah oh, yes because you're thinking about how the story flows um it's got to yeah it, they've got to feel that they've come along with you almost if you're choosing to do something that's almost therapy wise yes that, that's my thought 
Yeah, exactly. I agree, Emily. And um, I recently, um, I had uh, a lunch a while back in the olden days uh, when we could be out. Um, I had lunch with someone and she said, you see, I don't believe, this is contrary to my last 30 years, she said, I don't believe in putting something on stage that people can't walk out of. So that was a very strong way. Oh, fuck, they're doing a show about their, you know, the day their cat was run over, you know. Um, And so so I thought, well, that's good. But I like to think that I like to think, well, anyone can walk out if they I mean, anyone can walk out. Yeah. If they need to. And and that's that's an honor, I think. People yeah, that's good for you. you. Go, okay, good. That's good. Yeah. You're onto something here. If someone's yeah. offended. For you too. <laughs> if it's too much for someone, and they've they've shown that in this with the strength an English audience of all the British audience of all of all people to get up and choose to leave, I feel like okay, we're onto yeah. something. <laughs> exactly. I know we're I know we're running over, but I don't care because it's uh it's Peter Lillian is the last episode. <laughs> Emily, have you got one last question? <laughs> well, um, it was really um, I suppose. Uh, maybe we go back to the old one of what are you passionate about in the arts? Well, I'm passionate about, uh, I used to say, uh, tell, uh, sharing the joy of laughter and telling original stories. Okay. I don't know if I've uh, updated that. I'm very interested in niche events as 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 niche as I can get given that I am you know have the privilege of being white and cisgender looking and all of that um yeah uh, but I, I'm I'm interested in the predicaments I'm currently create trying to create some dark clown scenarios around COVID which I'm doing I hope to do with great delicacy because I don't normally do things to <laughs> un, un that are too raw, you know, they're, they're raw <laughs> emotions. With the dark land, you can use the word raw, uh, you know, to this sort of humanity in extremis. Uh, but to get the thing out there, to allow us to witness it, theatre is a place where we can sit and have emotions about a thing. As opposed to, I, I leave my house back in the days when we could leave. I leave my house. I travel on the bus. I, I walk past five people living on the street underneath the bridge. I get on the tube. I hate my fellow humans just because it's too crowded. You know, we haven't got time to grieve. You feel guilty. You haven't got time to process. Then you see the news. Um, that's a wonderful thing about this moment is that we do have more time so that when these big earth-shattering events come up and people, you know, so more of the globe, there's a big resistance to it, but more of the globe are putting their attention on all of the experiences of the world. All of the stories need telling. I've, uh, uh, I, I've sort of sort of primed Peter before we started that we were going to ask if she might have Oh yes. Top tip yeah, for yeah. our listeners. And that, <laughs> that, that think, was the one I was meant to know, say. Emily, I have to say, I think it's a really uh, tricky, tricky ask for our, uh, our guests because, you know, we've only got the slightest grasp who our listeners are, so they certainly don't know. But what <laughs> we think is that we've got a mixture of people who are listening at the moment who are interested in uh, training courses, part-time training courses, further education, mostly adults, people who are interested in burlesque and cabaret and uh, comedy, and now, of course, clowning. Um, but <laughs> I think creativity in general life is also part of what we're excited about and that what we're trying to champion, uh, I suppose, because if schools and governments aren't going to do it, <laughs> then somebody else is going to have to. So with that extremely broad remit, Peter, or, or anything that's come up in the last half an hour, 40 minutes, uh, is there anything you would, uh, any nugget you'd like to leave with our guests? Uh, listeners, sorry. Thank you. I'll probably do a slender list if that's okay, because you, you gave me warning about this beforehand. So things that you can do, uh, things that I like to do are, um, if you're having a worry, why don't you sit down and write a poem about it? Or if you don't want to do that, why don't you open a book and and, and draw, uh, draw a picture? Uh, here's one I 
did earlier. Oh, I love that. I love I love forcing people to go to the YouTube version of our um, <laughs> podcast. Oh, sorry, yes, go to the YouTube version. Uh, oh, and I'm going to, yeah. And then the other thing is just because um, I like, I like my tea lights and, and matchboxes and I've got all the subscriptions, you know, I get the Tate. Uh, and so I'm showing pictures of my matchboxes here where I've collaged, <laughs> used pictures from the, the, the Tate. Oh, you have to put those <laughs> to onto make your Yeah, oh good. Oh, my it. God. Crit stick, crit stick. <laughs> What Other glues say? are available. <laughs> I say, and then if in doubt, you know, buy you get your rubber chicken out. <laughs> get your rubber chicken out. You have some ducks. You know, some ducks. Um, <laughs> People, if you are listening to this only, please God find the YouTube version. Let's see what Peter just did. It's just brilliant. It's actually, actually. The woman basically lives with a lot of rubber animals. <laughs> Listen, we are we are running out of time. First of all, a huge thank you to our very special guest in this final episode of Series One of Up Your Arts, Peter Lilly, who drank the first thing Thank you. <laughs> thank you for having me on. And and of course, people can always go on my website and learn about my workshops. And I'd love to see them either on the little Zoom screen or in the flesh. Yeah, I highly recommend Clown and Dark Clown or anything she's doing. She's a, she's a tremendous woman, as you've all just learned. Now, Emily and I are, will be back very soon. We're just taking a little break to recover from... Well, a pandemic, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> we valiantly, uh, with the help of Keith doing the tech, we valiantly managed to kept carry on bringing you 12 episodes from the beginning of this year. But I think it's time for everyone to have a little rest. So, uh, yeah, we'll regroup soon and we'll be yeah. back uh, to discover how the arts can enrich your life. Yay! Um, which they do. I think we're, get, we're on the lines of discovering they do. <laughs> That's, I oh, think all right. Good. Well, that doesn't mean I'm not going to stop asking the questions. Emily, how can people find out about us and get in touch? Um, you can still find us on uh, Twitter uh, at Up Your Arts and on the old link tree, linktr.ee forward slash Up Your Arts. Um, you can find there and um, yeah, Luscious Cabaret website, Paulus, uh, Paul L. Martin's website as well. Uh, and of course, Spotify and um, Apple Podcasts. We'd love a review on Apple if you've got two minutes. And which of us has not, quite <laughs> frankly, right now? <laughs> Great stuff. Thanks very much to Peter Lilly. Thank you to the wonderful team at Up Your Arts. We will be back next time. Lots of love and keep creating. Bye bye. bye. bye.